Hey, this is Kyle Turner, the lead pastor of Hillsong, Kansas City. Welcome to our podcast. We hope that it inspires you, encourages you, and most importantly, helps you get closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. Hey, I love you, church. You guys can grab your seat. Dads, we love you. Thank you, baby. It's great to be linked up live with the plaza. Those at Lansing Correctional, man, that's been on my heart all week. Those who are dads um, who aren't with their kids, man, that is quite the dilemma. And yeah, God, uh, stay tuned later this, this summer. There's some great things that we're going to be doing and launching uh, in the very near future. Man, Father's Day. Y'all get to chill and everyone take care of you. I got to work. Uh, I got to work. But anyways, it's, um, it's an honor to be leading this church. What an amazing group of dads that we've been given. I think about the first two. Before I was even a dad, we had like two dads. Uh, Jim and Doug in the church, still in the church, believe it or not, 11 years later. Um, I'm grateful for the fathers in our church. And I am also call every one of us, uh, every dad, up to a new level of leaning in and leveraging your life and relationships for the rest of the church family. We have a lot of people that don't have a great example of godly character, uh, don't have voices of encouragement, don't have people to help calm down in times of storm and struggle. And as much as it, God wants you to build your family and your life in the house, there's also others to build around you. So I'm just recruiting you and building a generational church. Um, we need you men more than ever before. And uh, this whole world needs it. Amen. You know, the older I get, thank you so much. Uh, the older I get, the more I become just like my dad. Is anybody else out there, like you find yourself saying things, it's like, oh my gosh, that was what my dad said 20 years ago. Um, I'll say things like, um, well, when I was your age, you know, well, back in the day I used, I never had a, you know, that's, that's what we do. I find myself becoming more like my dad. Um, I'm like the Lord over the thermostat. You know, you guard that. Now I can control it on an app and I will block that. I will turn off the Wi-Fi if you try to adjust the thermostat. Um, I, I find myself uh, like more in tune with things I didn't value before. Like it comes to basketball, I love watching basketball. Uh, back in the day growing up, it was like if dunks and like behind the back passes and trash talk. That's what I loved. Flagrant fouls, I love those things. Now it's like, well, that was a solid screen that he set there. That was a healthy bounce pass, thumbs down. Like. That's a great coaching move right there. Like, where is this coming from? And I know my dad and my mom are watching, um, and I love, love you, Dad, very, very much. Like you, sometimes I drink more Diet Coke than water, and it's unhealthy. But he has passed along um, so much wisdom. Uh, if you don't know my dad's story, he, he left a very uh, lucrative real estate development job just to follow the mission of Jesus. And uh, I left all of that and enroll, enrolled in seminary. And, um, and, and because of that, both of my older brothers, and they are a whole lot older than me, they pastor churches as well. It's been a generational thing that was started with a God decision that my dad followed. He has passed on so much of how to, how to honor God, how to overcome adversity, how, how to sacrifice and serve family. And, and, and generational transfer is the way that God does some of his greatest work. We make generational gains when we, we, we take the things that God has done for us and we tell and show, not just with our words, but with our actions, the next generation. It's the Bible way. It says this in uh, Psalms chapter 145. One generation 
commends your works to another generation. So we're to tell the next in line how to live for God. We're supposed to tell about the mighty acts, God's power, God's passion, God's great love, God's great grace for us. And when we do that, we make generational gains. But not just the good things get passed on, do they? Sometimes we also have generational pains. As much as we want to pass on the good, sometimes we also inherit the bad. Some of you have had problems passed on or pain passed on because of a previous generation. And as we're in this series on It Is Well, dealing with the struggles of the soul, dealing with the mind, the will, and emotions, sometimes we have to go back to even broken places so that God can heal the pain. And if you thought you were just getting a light, easy sermon on service or sacrifice or humility, we going deep today. Can we all handle it a little bit? We're going to push in to some pain points, not to just highlight a hurt, but so that God can heal and restore. Because if I need to pass something on to my children, I want to make sure I'm giving them my very best. So I've got to let God go to work and do whatever he needs to do in me. So I'm passing on generational gains, not just generational pains. For every hurt that you might have experienced from your family of origin or other people, you have a healer who can restore. For everything your father wasn't, your heavenly father is. And so for every place of detriment that's been in your life, you will not live in debt your whole life. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, you can experience the grace and goodness of God. And we can get over what maybe our family has struggled and been fighting against for a long time. Psalms 147, God heals the brokenhearted and he bandages their wounds. Maybe we're going to come face to face with the fact that we've got some fears, some hurts, some heartaches in our heart. And until we let God get in and deal with the fractures, we will just replicate the past in our future. Can we all handle some big boy church today? Okay, I want to speak today about how to heal from hidden hurts. How to heal from hidden hurts. It's real quiet. Plaza, I'm going to tell you right now, it's real quiet up in here. Because everyone's just messing with their mess right now. And they don't like it, but we're going to lead you to somewhere good. Okay, so Plaza, I know you're loud and rowdy and excited and leaning in. I'm going to ask the North to do that as well. It's Father's Day. Give me that gift. I'm kind of the dad of the house. So just do it. Give me what I need today and get out of the way. Anyways... You're going to find that sometimes many of your current problems with people in your life have nothing to do with that specific person. Some of the pain you're walking through in your life have nothing to do with your current set of problems or obstacles. They have a whole lot to do with a person or a problem or a pain in your past. And so when God begins to show us when we have anger or issues or we're volatile or we pull away in different places, it's because there's a pain point from our yesterday and that place gets touched. This is what happens in our soul struggles. We're not just struggling in the here and now. The pressure of the now has revealed what was planted back then. And so what we need to do is let God be the good gardener and dig up some of the decay, some of the delinquencies, some of the struggles in our yesterday, and then plant new things. It might take some time, but they will grow into fruitful things. They will grow into God things. Uh, I feel like I need to pause and pray. Can y'all join with me? Come on, everybody, let's lean in. We need God to get to work so that we can do a greater work in our future. Amen.
Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are good. You've given an access forever to our perfect Father. And so, Lord, we're asking you on this Father's Day to come and meet with us. We know that in this life, dads were to be sacrificial and serve, and we learn that from our perfect Father. So, God, would you come and serve us and sacrifice and show us the way to go? I believe that this message is going to find us meeting with you in a place called Holy Ground so that we can experience your healing ground. And God, I thank you for every pain in our past. It will no longer be a hang-up or a hurt or a heartache. It will be a place where we will say, bless God, you met me in that place and you changed me in that place. And though I might walk with a limp, I'm walking into a beautiful future. In Jesus' name, if you're with me, can I get an amen? Amen. How did we get these hidden hurts in our heart and our soul? Uh, they come from everywhere. Uh, and every one of us have a few. That, that, that's just the... Doing life in this broken world, this is just going to happen to our hearts and our souls. It might be something on the playground that you were picked on as a kid. How many know they say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? That is a lie because you healed from uh, physical harm, but sometimes emotional harm can stay in the status of your soul for a long time. Uh, it could be from a fake friend. Who, who bailed on you in a time when you needed it the most. It could be from an ex. It could be from a teacher. It could be from a coach uh, or a neighbor. Something happened in the workplace. Maybe it's just society has labeled you in a prejudiced way and you carry that pain today. Uh, those things are all real, but the realest of real hurts, the deepest of wounds, always seem to come from our own families. Many times they come from our parents. And I'm not picking on your parents. I'm just saying, if that's led us to this place, what are we going to allow God to do in this place so we don't duplicate and replicate? Because we all make mistakes. I'm sure your folks tried very hard, and yet life was very hard. Life is very hard, and we all carry some heartaches and some hurts along the journey. Uh, whether it was a verbal attack or maybe even abuse, Maybe there was an addiction that just allowed chaos to reign in your family. Maybe there was favoritism towards another sibling. Maybe you had a detached dad or a controlling mom. The list can go on and on. And yet every one of us probably have an issue that God wants to remedy and to go to work in. From the meltdown of the marriage that started in the 60s and continues to this day, there has been a delinquency, especially when it comes to dads and absence fathers in the home. And it's been a fault line for many people's souls for far too long. Some of you, maybe your dad wasn't around or he was distant, and that empty chair at your dinner table became the dominating force in your childhood. How many know for everything that the enemy meant for destruction, God can turn around for good? So if you did not get it from your dad or did not receive the love or care from your mom, God makes up the difference. The mass majority of those that are homeless today, it's 80%, came from a fatherless home. The mass majority of those incarcerated, it's over 70%, came from a fatherless home. The mass majority of teen pregnancies come from fatherless homes because there's just something God designed for fathers to provide. Uh, affection, provision, presence, protection, and praise. These are things that we all need. They are vital to your emotional soul health. And anytime you did not get 
very much of these or none of this, it, it brings a fractured or a severed place in your soul. What do we do? What would, there should have been a place of provision and protection and peace becomes a place of pain. The Bible says in Hosea chapter 8, Israel or God's people rejected the good and so the enemy will pursue him. And you might not have anything to do with the rejection. You might have been rejected. Can I tell you right now, for every place of rejection, you are not a reject. For every bit of absent father, I'll tell you right now, it was not your fault. Some of you need to know that had nothing to do with you. That was their own hurt and heartache, most likely from a previous generation themselves. This is why as we're making generational gains, we've got to deal with generational pain. So we can say once and for all that this is going to end now. So everything God wants to do then can become a reality. It says where there's been rejection, it opens the door for the enemy to pursue or to push pain points or problematic places in your heart and your soul. Fatherly love is so vital to your future. Think about this. Jesus himself needed affirmation from his father before he stepped into his, his destiny and God-given purpose. Out of the waters of baptism boomed the voice of heaven that said, this kid belongs to me. This is my son, my beloved son. He belongs to me. He's loved by me. And in him, I am well pleased. I am pleased with him. If Jesus needed affirmation from his father, how much more do you and I need God to show up and speak to some places to bring the hero out of places that might have even been hurt? Jesus said in John 14, I will not leave you as orphans. So wherever you've been abandoned, know that with God, you've already been accepted. It says in Galatians 4, Paul says we have this adoption as sons or sons and daughters. We've been brought into a new family. And if you have a wrong viewpoint of God, it is probably a projection or rejection of your earthly father or even mother. But by learning to forgive, you remove the lens, you remove the distortion that maybe your dad or mother have caused, and you begin to see God for who he really is. You begin to see him as a perfect father, a father that cares, a father that affirms, a father that encouraged, and a father that heals every wound that you might have carried in with you even today. You know, it's an interesting story in the life of King David. David had his own daddy issues. You all remember when the, the, the priest comes to, to the prophet comes to, to pick a new king? He goes to Jesse's house and says, hey, Jesse, I, I need all your sons. And for some reason, Jesse just decides to leave little old David out in the field. How many know he had to deal with the fact that he was left out and his brothers were brought in? But Jesse said, is there not one more son than you have? And the dad, maybe even reluctantly, Jesse says, yeah, yeah, I've got, I've got David. Uh, I didn't think he was worthy to come to this kind of moment. News for you, if you were left out or rejected in any area of your life, your real father in heaven sees you and he will anoint you and appoint you for the future that he's prepared for you. Man's rejection sometimes can be God's promotion in your life. And if you were left behind, you were not left out by your father, by your heavenly father. Now, 
David is anointed as the new king, but there's a current king in place. His name is Saul. And Saul, Saul had some issues of his own. Saul had anger. Saul had rage. Saul had pride. Saul lived in control. And so what happens is there's a new king coming. Saul tries to hold on to his, to his kingdom. And what develops is like a civil war. There's like a daytime drama, soap opera, novella. It's like Game of Thrones. I don't really know the reference because I'm a Christian, but I've heard from some of the staff guys that were repenting uh, that it, it gets violent. And it's one family against the other for who will rule and who will reign. Now, what makes this situation more intense is that David's bestie is Jonathan. The, the son and the prince to the heir to the throne of Saul. Uh, that's his best friend. And they make a covenant, Jonathan and David together. This is an oath of loyalty. That They said they're always going to look out for each other. And that whatever happens in the future, that, that their families like, would be protected because of their friendship. Now, King Saul and Prince Jonathan died in the battle of Jezreel. And there's a, there's a regime change. And it does not go good for the previous regime when there's a new regime entered. And, and so now there's just a single sole survivor of the family of Saul, then Jonathan, that is still alive. And it tells this story in 2 Samuel chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. Now, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son, and he was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the report of Saul and Jonathan came to their palace, their, their place, their, their safe place it, from Jezreel. The news came to where he was, and the nurse, the babysitter, the one looking after Mephibosheth, is his name, took him up and fled. And it happened that in her hurry to flee, he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. Now, I, for one, I've got a huge heart for Mephibosheth. Because in my sixth grade school, I went to a Christian school in Southern California, and uh, they said if we tried out audition for the school play, we could get out of class for the hour. And I was like, here I am, Lord, you can send me. I had no plans of being in a play, uh, but I got the lead role. I guess I was just a born leader. And... They picked me out. Now, it sounded cool to be the lead in the play, except if you knew that the character you were playing was a guy named Mephibosheth. Now, this is not a biblically accurate story of Jesus' birth, because it's a thousand years before, and yet somehow Mephibosheth shows up. So picture my character for a moment. Uh, I'm a sixth grade kid. Uh, I have a cane, a crutch. I'm limp in one leg, so I'm hobbling around. And my character had a stuttering problem. Plus, I'm a ginger. He had a lot of things working against him. And yet, I felt like I dominated that performance. And that was the end of my acting career, my life in the theater. And, uh, but I, I played this character years and years ago. Um, but it's amazing. His name means son of shame. His body, his life were affected forever because of a generational issue. The fall of a family fell on him. He had nothing to do with the drama and the delinquency of his grandfather. And yet he was crippled from the generational pain. I wonder how many of us, by the failure of a family, a family in, our, in our life, uh, part of our family have had brokenness, have pain, have rejection, have abandonment, have struggle in our life. He was 
the one who was supposed to care for him was careless with him in a moment of chaos and he was left crippled. And this happened in what was supposed to be his place of protection in the palace. It actually became a place of pain. And if we're gonna talk about how to deal and heal from hidden hurts, we gotta realize that places that were actually meant to help protect us sometimes can be the places where we get hurt the most. And I don't know what other person's mistake has affected or infected you, but I just know this, we all walk with the limp in some place of our life. But the good news for us is that we have one that passionately pursued us. We have a perfect father who who sent the, the very best out of his palace, the perfection of heaven, to come down into the mess of our world, not just to save us one day for eternity, but to meet with us and to be with us and to be everything that someone else who should have been for us wasn't. And to restore us back to health in our heart and our mind and our soul. And so there is a kind king who comes and takes and inherits in this son of shame. Because David remembered the promise he made to Jonathan. 2 Samuel chapter 9 verse 1 and 3. Then the king, now King David, said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God to? That I I can show kindness to. And Ziba uh, gotta love that name, Zeba. Zeba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. And David rolls out the red carpet from Mephibosheth. This son of shame is invited in to the feast at the king's table. He is given back all that his family uh, owned. In one moment of the king's kindness, he inherits back everything that he thought was taken from him. I love the thought that when you sit at the king's table, all you can see is the waist up. I love for the fact that when God invites us to sit at the supper with Jesus, when we're in this new covenant relationship with this kind, benevolent king, even in the midst of our shame, we are covered in our broken places by his goodness when we sit at the table. So for every place of shame and struggle in your life, there's an invitation from heaven for you to take your seat. You didn't deserve the pain or the problem, but nor can you fix the issue on your own. And you will find a new inheritance that cancels out the generational curse that you might have been living under. The kindness of God shows up and you go from being an outcast in brokenness to finding a place of belonging. How do we heal from hidden hurts? The first thing is this, we have to own the reality of the wound. You can keep ignoring it as long as you want, but it is still there. The longer you try to bury it, the more it normally breaks through in places of pressure, in places of pain. Own the reality of the wound. The silent treatment will not solve severe soul pain. We gotta talk to someone about it. First thing I wanna tell you to do is talk to your God about it. I think you should do it audibly. Let me speak to the men. Sometimes we like to act like we've got it all together, but the truth is we've probably been through some garbage in our life. And God is more than ready and willing to listen to you, and there's just something powerful about letting it out. It's gonna come out one way or the other. You might as well give it to the ear and the heart of the one who can heal instead of thinking you can hide it in your life any longer. Psalms 39 I kept very quiet, but I became even more upset. I became very angry inside. And and, and as I thought about it, my anger burned. Psalms 
32, when I kept things to myself, I felt weak deep inside of me and I moaned all day long. Friend, you do not have to carry your hidden hurt any longer. You have one who cares for you. I would talk to my God about it. I would talk to my spouse about it. I would talk to a friend, a believer in church. I would talk to a church leader about it. I would even talk to a counselor about it. I would not let it fester any longer because if you bury it, you'll always remain broken in that place. But if you acknowledge where you've been infected or affected, you can be healed in that place. This next one is a difficult one, but it's a necessary one and we're not hiding it anymore. We're letting it out. We're acknowledging the place where, where, where we have the reality of the wound. And then we're going to release any unforgiveness that has lingered. And you might have said, I forgive you once or twice. But the truth is, sometimes this stuff just lingers and gets saturated and mixed up in our soul. And you can't get well as long as you have resentment in your heart. You can't. This is actually for your own sake. It's you choosing to let go of what you feel like is your right to get even with them. Listen, you only have a certain amount of emotional energy and you can either choose to use your energy to get even or get well, but you can't get both. And the truth is, you're probably never going to get even. A lot of you are trying to get back at someone that isn't even breathing right now. And the truth is, you, you just got to choose. How am I going to actually invest my in energy and my emotional strength. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean that everything has to go back to acting like it's perfect. But some of us pretend like it's perfect when it's far from and it's painful. But the truth is, if we ever have the opportunity or God leads us to it, and if you need wisdom or direction because there's been abuse or neglect, that has been severe. This is what we are here for as a church family to help you walk through this. But at the very least, when you're talking to God and acknowledging the place where this issue has lingered, you can then talk to God as well and says, God, help me forgive them. Or Father, I forgive them. Whether they knew what they were doing or not, whether they were just carrying on generational pain or not, whether they knew how bad they hurt you or not, you just say, God, God, help me to forgive them. I do not want to hold on to this hurt any longer because I'm realizing it's actually hurting me a whole lot more than it's hurting them. Offering forgiveness, even asking forgiveness. Well, they don't deserve it. I know. But which one of us deserve the forgiveness of God? And I know I'm playing the God card, but we need that right now. Like we are holding something and it might have been absolutely horrific in your life, but we've been forgiven of everything forever. And so who are we to hold something back, even if it was a horrific incident? None of us deserve God's forgiveness. Romans 12, 17 and 19. Never pay back evil for evil. Never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God. It's on God. I love that. For he has said he will repay those who deserve it. Now there's a part of me that when I forgive people that have hurt me, and I'll be honest with you, I've been hurt more in the last couple of years than I have been in my entire life up to that date. There's sometimes when I say I'm going to release it, I'm going to forgive them. And I'm like, God, now you go get them. How many know I don't really have healing in my heart or health in my soul when I think that way? I'm like letting God off the chain like a junkyard dog. <laughs> like, go. Go get him, Lord. You go get him now. Like, that's, that, that's not the right mentality. But when I can actually square up with God and say, man, you've forgiven me of everything. Okay. God, this hurts, but I'm going to... 
I'm going to choose to forgive. And this is an act of my faith. And, and God, I'm going to trust you're going to make it right. Maybe you'll make it right with me, and then maybe it won't. That's t- it takes two to tango there. But maybe you're just going to make me right. As I release this thing that's actually had its hold on me. Romans 12 says we don't pay back evil for evil. You're not getting back at them by holding something against them. You're actually holding yourself back. And we hold on to resentment because we think if we let it go, they're going to get away with it. I promise you this, they're not going to get away with anything. The only thing you're not allowing is for God's grace to flood your heart and actually heal that place when you're still holding on to that thing. Hey, Jesus understands abuse. He understands physical abuse. Are you kidding me? Have you read the story of the cross? Crown on his head, uh, nails in his arms, his, his hands, nails in his feet, stripes on his back, spear in his side from people that he never did anything wrong to. Jesus understands physical pain, but man, he understands emotional pain. Think about the rejection, the betrayal, the accusation, the prejudice against him. Think about everything he fed. How about the, uh, how about the fact that he carried the weight of the world of our sins on his back? I mean, that is some, some hidden hurt. You couldn't see it, but the weight was real. So what do we do? We do what Jesus did. First Peter 2, when Jesus suffered... He did not threaten to get even, but he left his case on the hands of God. God, I'm trusting you to get to work in this place. Hebrews 12 verse 15 says a bitter spirit is not only bad in itself, but can also poison the lives of many others. Some of your marriage is struggling because you're not really even mad at your spouse. You're mad at another woman, probably your mom. Some of you are, you're mad at your husband, but it had nothing to do with him. I'm sure he needs to clean up his act a little bit, but you're really projecting on him the hurts from your father. Um, you've been hurt by someone else and you're taking it out on someone else. This is soul tie struggle that God actually loves to get in and untangle. And when you begin to be honest, if there's still a wound, a hurt that is lingering, and when you begin to let it go in forgiveness, sometimes even forgiveness and faith, God begins to untangle. And then you actually have a soul that is satisfied by his grace, not by other people's past or performance. And then you begin to be able to give someone something that they actually need. You begin to actually be the person emotionally inside that you've been called to be. Because we have to refuse to infect another generation. This might have showed up unwanted and unwarranted in your life, but we're just going to go ahead and decide that this is going to stop on our watch. We're going to break the chain that has been binding families for far too long. We're going to set ourselves free from the generational curse that followed up to this place so that the future of our family can walk in freedom. This is what God did for us in Ephesians 1. Through Christ, he decided to make us holy in his eyes. Through Jesus, who decided I'm breaking the chain of sin and shame. You're not a son of shame. You're not a daughter of shame. You're not a daughter of rejection or a son of rejection. You're a son of the living God. You're a daughter that belongs to God. And I'm breaking that chain over your life. And now we stand covered with his love. Like Mephibosheth sat at the table, covered in his struggle was covered. Because there was a seat at the king's table for him. I think about the story of Joseph in, in Genesis. Man, betrayal from his family. 
and he could put up a front and then they come and they don't recognize that it's him and he's now the second in charge the vice president of the world and he's in charge and they need him they need food they're gonna die without his help and I think a lot of us would be like oh the shoes on the other foot the sandals on the other foot now Let's see how deep of a well I throw you into. Where's my coat at you borrowed so long ago? (laughs) And it says he's kept a face with them. In fact, he talked sternly to them. They didn't understand he's Egyptian. And then he goes in the behind the scenes and he weeps. God begins to work on his heart. He faced the issue, but then he got away with God. I'm reading into the text here, but there's no way that he had his own ability to forgive right there. He tapped into something supernatural. And he comes back out. And yeah, there's a little song and dance that happens, kind of tests their heart a little bit. Hey, by the way, when you forgive someone, it doesn't mean everything goes back to square even. It means that you've let go of the wrongs that you've been given. People might need to prove through time and, and, and healthy testing that they belong at your table for your future but what you cannot have is a severance in your soul and a hurt in your heart that you hold on to and then eventually there is an embrace there is a reconnection and it is beautiful and then Joseph has the the foresight the future perspective it just has this godly view of it and says okay well maybe this happened for the saving of many lives. Here's something all of us need to wrestle with. This is a deep theological truth that we live in a broken world and we have a perfect father, but our perfect father in his wisdom and foresight allows broken things to happen. And sometimes it's just the free will choice of someone else. God didn't make your dad do that or not do that. He chose to do that, but the ramifications are real. But if it hurts you, it hurts God's heart because he cares deeply about every single one of his children. And yet you have to understand what Joseph understood, that when things happen to me or things happen to my heart, that God actually has a way of redeeming. And Joseph got that in a moment. He said, wow, I can see clearly now that was, wasn't for their betrayal, I wouldn't have been in that place. And if I wasn't left in prison when those other guys left me, then I wouldn't be ready to tell Pharaoh his dream. And if I wasn't ready to tell Pharaoh his dream, I wouldn't be sitting right here at the right hand. And I wouldn't have been able to raise up the food to feed the whole world and keep humanity alive. Wow, God, uh, that rejection was actually a direction from you to put me in a place where you can use me for greater things. And it's hard to hear that sometimes, but that is the reality. Then some things happen against you. It doesn't mean that God's not for you. It means that God has something forward for you to walk into. And God might just use the pain of this world to reveal his healing heart to you at a deeper level. And Joseph says, wow, this had happened so that there could be a saving of many lives. He does the third thing we need to do. We got to refocus on the future. We are not just going past. This is sometimes the problem with, with digging into our past. We cannot just stay in regressive counseling. We got to go back and realize where did the fracture happen? Let God reset 
the thing in order. And then we have to choose to look into the future. We're going to talk about that a little bit more next week, that we're looking into brighter days, not just broken places. We can acknowledge where we came from, but it doesn't stop us for where we're going. Joseph had a viewpoint that God could use him to do something greater in the future. And so he kept the vision alive. And we have to keep our seat at the table. Don't be pulled away from that. As much shame as you feel, you are still qualified and called because of what Jesus has done to be seated in that place with your king, with your father. And then we got to look at the future. It says in Job chapter 11, if you think you're having a bad week, read Job 1. Put your heart right. Reach out to God. Then face the world again. Firm and courageous. I am speaking that over someone that comes out of a broken family, that comes out of abuse and neglect and rejection. You will be firm in your future when God resets your heart. And the reset is going to happen now. It is a season of renewal and redemption in your life. What the enemy meant for destruction, God can turn around for good. And you either believe it or you don't. And when God says, then get your heart right, reach out to God and face the world again, firm and courageous, then all your troubles will fade from your memory, memory like a flood that are in the past and it is remembered no more. Proverbs 4, look straight ahead with honest confidence. Don't hang your head in shame. You are not a son or daughter of shame. You are a daughter and a son of the Most High God. And He does not allow His family to stay in trouble, in torment, or in hardship. He rescues those that need his help. I'm out of time, but I'm not out of points. Really quickly, I want to encourage you. Number four, I'm going to rally. I'm going to rally those around me to my heart. I am not living in a silo of self-protection anymore. God has positioned me in a new family. It's called the family of faith. This is why church is so vital. And as people have been coming out of COVID and out of lockdown, they got real comfortable with not belonging to the family. But the last thing I need from you is you just to come and sit in a church service. What I need for you is to find your place of service in the house of God, because we are a family of faith and your family needs you. And what you'll come to find out is that the more you share and serve, the more God shares and serves you. We need the support of a church family, leadership voices to get us out of our shame and standing in God's promises to keep us seated at the table when our old world tries to catch up with us here and now. Ecclesiastes 4 just says, we better together. Back to back, you can't be defeated. How about a three-braided cord? It is not easily broken. So we're in this thing as brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. We're in this thing as aunts and uncles in the house of God. And we're intertwined in with a new covenant of the living, breathing grace of God that renews us and revigorates us and encourages us and galvanizes us. Why? So that we can do more in the future that God's prepared for us. 1 Peter 3, you should be like one big fam full of sympathy towards each other. The Bible says it's love everyone and start with those closest to you in the family of faith. So as we're coming out of our soul struggles and the pain of our hidden hurts, we're getting real with God. We're asking God to get to work. We're letting go of the thing that's been holding us back. And we're getting a view of the future that he has in store for us. And it's not one of destiny that you do by yourself. 
It has people of the promise, friends of your future that we rally around as a church family. And then we learn when we've really healed from our hardships and our heartaches is when we can return the favor. That what used to be a wound is now a scar. And you can say, hey, I see what you're going through with your dad. Let me tell you about how God helped me handle this. I can see how you're facing the rejection of your mother. I can see how you're dealing with the death of a loved one. And I want to let you know, number one, you're not alone. And number two, what God did for me, he can do for you. Let me show you the scars that the wound that was meant to kill me, God actually healed me. And he's left a little reminder. It's called my story. And it's become a testimony of God's goodness and his faithfulness. And if he did it for me, I believe he's going to do it for you. And we begin to return the favor to others. 2 Corinthians 1, God comforts us every time we have trouble. So then when others have trouble, we can comfort them with the same comfort God gives us. You know you're healed from your hidden hurts when you can help someone else out in their hurt. I want everyone at the plaza up north to stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. And we're going to worship together. And we're going to really worship and we're gonna put our heart into this worship. It's not a closing song. This is a closed door of yesterday. We're gonna worship that God's our champion. We're gonna worship that giants are about ready to fall. We're gonna worship that hearts are gonna be healed. We're gonna worship that wounds are gonna be restored back to new life. We're gonna worship that forgiveness is gonna flow in your life, in your heart, towards your father, towards your mother, towards your family of origin. We're going to worship as if God's in the room, because guess what he is? And when we worship, we're not going to worship from a place of giving him a little. We're going to let him investigate every facet, every nook, every cranny of our hearts so that he can do the lasting work that he's always wanted to do. You thought you were coming to celebrate dads today. You came for a destiny moment with your heavenly father. Your king, your God is going to show up and restore you in Jesus' name. I don't need to put your hands up. But I do need you to get your hope up and your faith up. I want to pray right now for everyone dealing with a, a painful dilemma from your yesterday. That God would heal and restore the wound. God would heal the hurt. And it doesn't have to stay hidden because guess what? He already sees it. On the plaza up north, online, I believe God's going to go to work. I would say raise your hands if this is you, but I know it's all of us. And God wants to do a lasting work for every one of us. Come on, believers, let's really pray. Let's pray. Join me with me in this moment. Father God, I speak to every place of heartache and pain, every hidden hurt and every wound that has held on to us for far too long. We acknowledge that there was something wrong that's been done in our past, but we acknowledge that something happened a lot farther along, a lot longer ago than that, 2,000 years ago on Calvary's cross that has canceled rejection, it has canceled abuse, it has canceled neglect, it has canceled hurt and heartache, it has canceled an absentee father, because there's a present help in our time of need. It has canceled that which was meant to harm us and hurt us, and it's shown us a new facet of the goodness of God. We thank you for everything our dad or mom wasn't, everything our family of origin did not do, our heavenly father does completely. So God, we need you more than ever. Would you show us up and give us a new revelation of your love and your grace? We choose by faith to forgive those who have hurt us. And we thank you we are not carrying the heartache or hurt anymore. I thank you that in moments and atmospheres like this, shame leaves forever. 
How can we be rejected when we've been accepted by you? So we're transferring our old spirit of rejection for a sonship, a daughtership, an adoption of belonging. Lord, I thank you that not in a moment of praise, but in moment after moment, day after day, for those journeying through savage and struggling places of the soul, you would speak, you would heal, and you would restore. God, we need you to speak, we need you to heal, and we need you to restore. We say, Father, we forgive them. And then we ask, Heavenly Father, would you heal us in the mighty name of Jesus? I just feel like God wants to take this moment to give you an opportunity to sit at the table. And we're going to worship together in just a moment. Mephibosheth, the son of shame, was brought in by the benevolent king and given not just a place and a meal, but given back everything that was supposed to be his that was thrown away by the mistakes of others. No one in your yesterday can cancel your tomorrow when you take your seat. And there is a seat for you, as broken as you might be, as shameful as your past might be, things that were done to you, things that you have done, it does not cancel the invitation of heaven for the banquet of blessing at the king's table. When I think about the son of shame, I think about the prodigal son, the story Jesus tells. He ran off and did everything his own way, said, forget you, Father, I'm on my own. I'm making my own family now. And he ran away and rejected the Father, but the Father did not hold it against him. In fact, in every day, he anticipated the return, which is a moment like this. And the son who ran off, when he turned around, found that the father was running down to him. 2,000 years ago, God came running after you, down a hill called Calvary, to meet with you, to embrace you, and not just to bring you back for a meal, but to restore to you everything that should have been yours in the family. This generational change is happening in this moment. If you are here and you have not taken your seat at the table, it's the invitation of salvation. Salvation is just the beginning. It's the main thing, but it's not the only thing. Redemption is the end goal of this meal that we sit at, this table that we now belong to. But if you're here and you've wandered off and you need to come back home or you've left your seat, you need to get back to the table, I want to lead you in a prayer. On the plaza north, every head bow, eye closed. If that's you, you need to come back home. You need to start a new relationship with God or renew that relationship of invitation with God. Can you just raise your hand and say, Pastor Kyle, that's me. Even on the plaza, we want to just count you for a moment. I'm not going to make you stand up. I see you, friend. Anyone else want to join in? Says, I need two of you. That's awesome. Those on the plaza, those in this room, three of you. I'm so proud of you, dear. That's awesome. That's awesome. I might have missed your hand. Your Heavenly Father does not miss your heart. Can we pray? I see you, sir. I'm so proud of you. That's awesome. Can we pray together? Come on, all together, one big family of faith. Let's say this new start, new beginning declaration of salvation. Say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father. I believe you're perfect. And I am not. I've been far from you. Separated by sin. I've been filled with some shame. But you sent an invitation. His name is Jesus. He called out to me. And in this moment, I'm answering the invitation. I'm going to take my seat at the table. I'm turning from my old ways. I'm giving you my whole heart. From today on, I'm in your family now. My past is forgiven. My wounds are being healed. And my future is in front of me. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me completely. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life for me. Now I give my heart to you. 
In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate?